Welcome, everyone, to episode five of The Flight Stuff. I'm Liam O'Donnell, head editor at Cinepunks.com. I'm Adriana Gober, managing editor at Cinepunks.com. And I'm Doug Tilly, contributor to Cinepunks.com. And we are so excited you've come back to join us for what are some pivotal, important, earth-shattering issues. At least one is. One feels like it's kind of a joke. Uh, (laughs) Issues of Alpha Flight, uh, the Canadian Fighting Force comic that we have dedicated at least a small portion of our life to for the foreseeable future, at least for the first volume. So uh, we're going to be covering issues 11, 12, and 13. Uh, We are very excited to do that. Uh, I want to start off, of course, uh, thanking everyone who has given us feedback, who has tweeted about the show, let their friends know about the show, who've uh, posted. The Cinepunks has its own Facebook group. If you're a fan of uh, the Cinepunks podcasting group and you would like to go to a place where you can post things and yell at people, that's a good place to do it. And uh, a few people on there have discovered that this podcast exists. <laughs> so uh, I appreciate that. Uh, and if you are a regular listener, we encourage you to let people know. Uh, we also want to thank our sponsor, who we have not thanked yet on an episode, Lehigh Valley Apparel Creations. Uh, they are supporters of Cinepunks, and uh, they're supporters of the show. Um, we are hoping that when we have a cool idea for a shirt, that we will they will print it for us, and it'll be awesome because they're good at printing things. So if you need something printed, go to xlvacx.com. Liam, I have a shirt idea. Yeah. Well, why couldn't we do a shirt that's sort of a takeoff on the Guardian costume where it's a white shirt which just has sort of half a maple leaf running across it on both back and front? I think that would be pretty cool. I uh, Okay, so here's the thing. I really want to make fun of you right now because our gag is that I make fun of you about all things Canadian. Mm -hmm, But I mm -hmm. actually do think that would be kind of cool if people realized it was a reference to Guardian or possibly – I think it would work as just a reference to Canada generally. And since Canada is such a beloved nation around the world – I mean Americans would wear it when they're traveling in foreign lands. So people do not point them out as American (laughs) and want to throw tomatoes at them. I think it's just a, a win all around. I don't know. Adriana, what do you think about this idea? I mean, I'm fine with it if you put the flight stuff somewhere in lettering. That's true. If we're going to make a shirt, Doug, it should probably say the name of our podcast. Wouldn't people just imply? (laughs) 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 Once you see that maple leaf, what are you going to think about except for the flight stuff? A podcast about notorious Canadian superhero team. Alpha Flight. Uh, let's go ahead and jump into our first issue here. Alpha Flight, Volume 1, Number 11, from June 1984, written, drawn, and covered by John Byrne. Doug, do you want to tell us, like, what what happens in this, what happens in this issue? What happens in it? Uh, it's a very exciting issue, Liam. <laughs> <laughs> and as all exciting things do, it starts in Moose Jaw, Saskatchewan. Where uh, Delphin Courtney, she's recruiting uh, – we've actually seen her in previous issues. She's recruiting former Beta and Gamma flight members for some unknown reason up to this point. We'll we'll find out all about that. In this case, she's talking to Roger Box, a.k.a. Box, uh, who's a character I have no familiarity with at all. Uh, he's suspicious about this whole thing, the recruitment. Um, Heather McNeil, at the time, she's – Standing in her old Ottawa apartment, you might remember that her and her husband have moved to New York City, uh, which is wonderful. And she's just sitting in her, uh, standing in her apartment, reminiscing about the good old days, and it just takes up space. I'm not sure why it's actually in here. Uh, and in one of the towers of the World Trade Center, the former members of Beta and Gamma Flight 
they're bicker, uh, they're bickering with one another, and then they are introduced to Jerome Jackson, who is their new boss, who has a uh, a bone to pick with James and Heather McNeil. Uh, James tries to pick up Heather at the airport in New York, but finds Jackson's calling card there instead, which upsets him very much and leads him directly into a confrontation with the new group, Omega Flight. So, uh, let's go ahead and talk about the members of Omega Flight. You've already mentioned Box, oh, yeah. uh, who's a first class. First, wait, what is this? For Oh, first, world-class engineer, mechanic without equal box. Then there's a, a indestructible giantess, uh, no known force can harm her, Diamond Lil, which people may remember in that first Alpha Flight issue, they showed a little small picture of the other flights. You know, there was Beta Flight. Yeah, and she was oh, one of the picture right. characters, mm-hmm. as was Flashback, the living temporal anomaly, a man who can summon his own future uh, <laughs> selves, and uh, not pictured, but in this issue was Smart Alec, the man with the computer brain, and, uh, with intellect unsurpassed, and of course, uh, last but by no means least, uh, resident killing machine Wildchild, who I think we can all agree is our Wolverine slash Sabretooth stand-in for this particular team. Uh mm-hmm. I want to I want to uh, start where we usually start, which is on the cover. But I just hold on to this because the first thing I'm going to come back to is what we think about Gamma Flight. Before we do that, though, I would like to ask y'all, what did you think of this cover here on issue number eleven? Adriana, look at this art. What do you think about this? It's pretty clever. There's some misdirection going <laughs> on uh, because uh, for the listeners at home who who may not have the cover handy, we see the back of Guardian as he is staring down a a, a sinister-looking group of individuals who are in silhouette, and their silhouette looks a lot like the X-Men. <laughs> <laughs> and there's some text on the cover that says, in bold lettering, to save the life of the woman he loves, he must face them. <laughs> And so it, it appears as though Byrne is setting up a showdown between Guardian and the, and, and the X-Men. But as a reader, that's, a, that's alarming because you think, why would he be fighting the X-Men again? I thought everything had been resolved between them. You know, the Wolverine situation had been diffused. And so uh, I think it really, it really sets up a nice amount of tension and incentive for you to start tearing through the pages to find out what the heck is, is going on. Um, and as as you'll learn once you do read the issue, it isn't quite quite what it seems. Uh, but yeah, I, I enjoy this cover a lot. It's it's simple, but I think it's very effective. Doug, do you agree? I mean, yes. Uh, I mean, it is very simple and effective. I like the silhouettes. I like the black background. You know, this kind of uh, angle where you have the the hero up front and from behind with the 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 the, the conflict in the background it seems like it's used in every second superhero poster that comes out these days it's an incredibly effective way of doing it however i do have some issues with the bait and switch that is occurring here i mean i get it it is kind of like a joke more than anything else I, but it is if you were a young person tearing open the cover and it's like i need to see what's going to happen when alpha flight tangle with x-men i've been waiting for this maybe we'll see the group all together for once uh and then you not only do not get that but you get a group of people that you've never heard of before uh, and and i guess we'll get into this but i i legitimately had no idea who any of these people were and i'm also you know my my biggest point of confusion once we're introduced to them is 
why are they so angry? <laughs> why, why are they so? And I know that it is explained in the uh, in the actual issues proper to some extent, but it's also like my second thing, and this is a very Canadian thing to think is which parts of Canada did all of these people come from? <laughs> <laughs> also, the cover text where it says to save the life of the woman he loves, he must face them. I mean, it's sort of true, but it's not that dramatic in the issue proper. Yeah. Uh yeah, I I I'm I I think I mostly agree with y'all. One of the things I I don't actually love the the lettering on the cover. I actually I don't like the way it's spaced out. I don't like the look of it. Yeah, and it's like it's like maybe like a step or two above Comic Sans. Yeah, and I honestly this is a weird thing cuz I don't usually care about something at this aesthetic level, but for some reason it's sticking out to me in this issue. I don't like the colors. I don't like the purple Alpha Flight mm. with the black background and then the blue silhouettes with his red suit. Something about it just – I don't like it. I don't know. It's its weird. I don't usually care. But it was the, the very first thing I thought when I first picked up this issue, uh, and and which weirdly enough, this is one of the ones that I didn't own and I had to get special because of this podcast. And that was the first <laughs> thing I thought looking at it was – that's kind of ugly. I'm not into that. Uh, I don't know. It's for whatever reason, just rubs me the wrong way. I'm not sure why. Um, uh, I like to think because of how the logo for Alpha Flight is positioned in front of Guardian's head that it's like two inches away from his face. <laughs> <laughs> so let's talk about Omega Flight. So Omega Flight is, uh, as as we sort of said um, a few episodes ago, but in case you're a new listener, Alpha Flight was part of a government program, and there were other levels that you would work your way up to be a part of Alpha Flight. Those were Beta Flight and Gamma Flight. Omega Flight is uh, this character Jackson's sort of response to Alpha, you know, if, if they're the be- the beginning, I guess, Omega Flight is the end. Uh, and, and he's recruited these characters, and I just want to know, we'll start with Doug, what do you think about this team that he's put together, uh, and, and uh, do you feel like they are a match for Alpha Flight? I mean, I love the idea, right, of this kind of, um, these other lower on the, the kind of grouping uh, superheroes that were in training and that, you know, that could have worked their way up to Alpha Flight. Uh, and, and, you know, they were all very disappointed when it all got, uh, uh, it stopped getting government funding. And now they're being recruited and brought back together for nefarious purposes. I think that's pretty interesting. I wish a lot more time was spent explaining why, you know, why, you know, why they hate James, uh, Hudson for one thing. Um, and, and why, they would think that this would be a reasonable kind of next step, but also why, you know, what about them meant that they weren't as good as our primary Alpha Flight members? Uh, and maybe that is something that we'll explore. Some of them have some pretty unique and interesting powers, which I do hope are explored at some point. Again, I really don't know where these characters go from this point, but there's also kind of strong hints at a backstory, which, uh, which are not necessarily revealed to us so i think it's interesting i always love to see these new characters uh get introduced i always think about the potential for all of them but uh, i do think it's kind of a mixed bag and i don't know if i'm ever going to enjoy a character named diamond lil (laughs) uh adriana what do you think and do you think that uh at any effort really is put in to explain why these characters are so mad at james hudson well to answer your question first of all I, I, there is some explanation as to why uh, these characters are working against James. If I remember correctly, he says that Jackson uses something called an influencer 
to basically just make them all angrier or kind of well, enhance. no, it's it's the uh, Delphine, the ro- the robot, like she has some sort of mesmeric powers that she <laughs> she can sort of influence their decisions and make them sort of more irritable and prone to squabbling and things. But she basically has the ability to bend anyone's will to her own. And in this case, she's been programmed by Jackson to do whatever he says. And what he says Pro- is... Programmed? Programmed? Whatever do you mean? <laughs> oh, yeah, we haven't got there yet. That's in the next issue. I forgot. <laughs> uh... All right. Well, I, I won't get too ahead. But anyway, um, as far as like general thoughts on Omega Flight as they are presented here, they just strike me as kind of sad and pathetic like if if alpha flight or the off-brand x-men like i don't even know what omega flight would be i don't get why ja- jackson thought this was a good idea why would he think a group of second stringers would be able to beat alpha flight who are have been theoretically working together up to this point i mean they literally omega flight literally just met each other and like minutes later are supposed to be in on the fray. It just, I don't know. It doesn't seem like a very strong plan, which I guess we're kind of jumping ahead to the next issue on this question. But sure. the idea is he didn't, he thought they could just beat uh guardian by himself. That that's true. And the idea that this would involve all of alpha flight was not part of the plan per se. It sort of just happens in the next issue, but still, I mean, I kind of get what you're saying, Adriana. These are not the best. I mean, I like Box. Uh, I think, you know, that's a character that has a future in in the group. I guess the idea of Diamond Lil, like, you know, she's invulnerable. I guess that's cool. Uh, but, like, someone like Smart Al, like, these characters that where it's like, I'm just super smart. And then, like, <laughs> especially in this sort of scenario where you've put together a team to murder someone, what is he supposed to do? Like, I don't know what it is he's bringing to the fight. And like Wild Child is just feral and ugly. Like those are his, <laughs> those are his powers. <laughs> Smart Alec is so great, especially when we yeah. get to his undoing. I mean, what what a ridiculous uh. choice for the group. I mean, in a weird way, they they are they sort of mirror the members of the Alpha Flight. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I do think you know, considering what you were just referring to, Adriana, that you know they're not really under control, right? They've sort of been forced into some of this activity, so you know, what happens to them is sort of sad because it's not, you know, we don't know how much of this is their actions and how much has been kind of influenced by this kind of mind control. But this I don't understand, though, because it doesn't work on Box. So is it just that Box is smarter than that? I the what the feeling I got was that they're all there because they really do have beef. Yeah. But the reason that they can't get along with each other in a room for five minutes is because of what she's doing with her yet unexplained influencing powers. Right. I don't know. It's, it's just when it, it, it would be helpful if we saw more context. We, there are scenes where she's going around recruiting earlier in earlier issues, but they're not given that much context. And the, the one we get the most, dialogue in is box who's kind of like why would i do that that seems great like he has no reason to do it so that i don't understand why the other characters aren't the same way like so you want me to murder my coworker because the government program we used to work for got canceled is that his fault i don't know it's just i it, it would help if they gave a little more context i think um if i remember correctly these aren't also 
it, it would help if they explained that these aren't necessarily heroes, that they were that some of the recruiting for the flights were criminals, that they they would say to criminals, you could go to jail or you could <laughs> work for the government. They don't explain that till many issues from now. And so it that would help explain why these folks are leading towards murdering as solving their problems if we knew that maybe they were already inclined towards violence prior. But we don't know that. For all we know, these are just heroes who, who are miffed. They're miffed heroes. They're heroes who got a chip on their shoulder. And that doesn't seem to make a lot of sense to me, especially no hero would call himself smart, Alec. Can we agree on that, that that's oh, not man. a... The more, the more I think about that name, the more ridiculous it seems. Okay, so uh, I'm just going to say, uh, um, I'll jump to you, Adriana. Um, is this possibly, of the origin stories, the least good origin story? What do you think? Yes. <laughs> hey, Doug, why don't you tell us about what happens in Origins of Alpha Flight, Unleash the Beast. It's so exciting, Liam. I can't wait to tell you all about it. <laughs> so there's a reason, I think. That I'm just getting to at this point why Walter Lankowski may be not the most popular member of Alpha Flight. In this amazing origin, we discover that he was a college friend of Bruce Banner, who, you know, those in the know uh, realize that Bruce Banner is the Incredible Hulk. And he basically has been kind of following his whole career and also the realization that Bruce Banner is the Incredible Hulk. So he's basically copying his experiments we all know, of course, Langowski was a famous football player. He used the millions that he made playing football to copy Bruce Banner's experiments. And then he got government funding from the Canadian government, who were very hands-off, as he decided to pepper himself with gamma rays to try to recreate, I guess, the uh, accident that created the Incredible Hulk in the first place. Seems kind of dangerous, but he's doing it anyway. But because these gamma rays interacted with the Northern Lights... Or something, he turns into a Sasquatch, or I guess a big orange hairy thing that he calls himself Sasquatch. So after this happens, he has kind of a rage. He bursts through the wall, heads out into the snow, turns back into a human, almost dies. But because Snowbird has been sort of keeping an eye on him, I guess because he he has this kind of connection to the government already, she finds him, um, takes him to hospital, and promises that she's going to help him deal with this new beast form. And while he's in hospital, he's visited by James Hudson, who says, hey, you almost died. Why don't you join Alpha Flight? And he's like, okay. And that's how it ends. Having him be a guy who just wants to be like Bruce Banner seems like such an odd choice. Uh, I don't don't know. Adriana, did you feel like, is this actually in some ways a fitting beginning for a character that's not that great anyway? Yeah, I mean, I guess it's a suitably mediocre origin story for somebody who basically just does not have enough of a personality of their own that they have to try to mimic somebody else, in this case, Bruce Banner. He met... He manages to mimic while also be having an ego about it. Like, I'm going to do what didn't work out for Bruce, but, like, don't worry. I fixed it, and I'm going to be awesome. Like, it just seems... Right. I don't know. It, 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 it's a, there's a lot of hubris. I liked when he said that when in, when he was in college with Bruce Banner, he wasn't, like, dropping out. Like, like he wasn't a hippie like all those other guys. He was studying really hard. He was, he was smashing that false dichotomy of brains versus bronze. <laughs> <laughs> I I don't know. Are we supposed to like him? I can't tell if this is Burr being like, yeah, this guy's gonna be a bit of a of a jerk, and I'm gonna play off that jerkiness for dynamics within the group because everything about the group 
and we'll get there in the next issue. Everything about the group is flawed. Like every character has some ticking time bomb. Waited. The only character who we don't know what their time bomb is yet really is Puck. And even then, he's got the pain that he's dealing with all the time. So that's at least something of a thing. Uh, do we think? And and either one of you could jump in on this. Are we supposed to like Walter Langowski and thus? Uh, Sasquatch, or is this is he there to be a jerk? I I legitimately don't know, and I think it's a really open question. I mean, I think at this point it is a very open question. Uh, I mean, we don't know enough about him. I, it's not until the next issue where we see a real major conflict happen. Um, but I do think that they're leaning pretty heavily on him being a little out of control of his power, which um, which is I think is also reflective of him kind of being out of control with his emotions generally which is something that i think they'll, they'll play into maybe a little bit it seems to be played into in the next issue but i mean isn't that every character in this group that they're not totally in control of their own emotions and that they're a little unpredictable i guess that does make it fun in some ways but it does make these characters a little frustrating as well i'm just confused why they would pick a guy who has only demonstrated the ability to turn himself into a monster and then immediately turn back into a human. We have no idea at that point if he has control over those powers. I mean, he's in hospital recovering from the one time he was able to do this. And they're like, hey, you can join our Alpha Flight group. Like, how sh- crappy do you have to be to end up in, in beta flight in the first place? If you can just <laughs> jump the line being this incompetent. <laughs> uh, I, it, there's also an inclination that... Um snowbird has because of all her mystical stuffs that whatever he turns into is related to the great beast which is a a big red flag that's like a bad thing like we've we've pretty much established in what little we've gotten of her sort of mythological whatevers that the great beasts are 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 bad news and yet she's like, I feel like there's some sort of connection here. Um, and, and I get that she might want then to be involved with Langowski in, in order to control that. But it just seems like there'd be a bit of like, hey, maybe we should keep this guy in confinement for a while till we know what's going to happen. Because <laughs> he just gets to wander around in the world knowing that he turns into the Sasquatch. I don't know. It just seems seems weird. I, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, you're telling me the Canadian government who's paying for all this didn't immediately make an army of Sasquatches. I mean, they have the technology now. It seems like, you know, it seems like he's figured it out. That's true, too. It's weird that they didn't recreate the experiment at all. There was no pressure to. I don't know. I don't know. (laughs) This whole thing doesn't hang together very well. The way the government functions within the world of Alpha Flight just seems to be very... It's almost like it doesn't really exist un- until it's convenient yeah. for the for the narrative. <laughs> Otherwise, it's just like a free for all, and there's no oversight. It certainly doesn't fit with later retconning of Wolverine's origins. Like the Department H that we see in like Weapon X is not the Department H that James Hudson is working with. With that like guy at the Parliament who's like, they just gave me an office. Like I just feel like there's 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 the world the Canadian. A uh, secret world in the burn world is much different than what we see later on in the eighties, and it's—I don't know how to reconcile those differences at all. <laughs> um, 
let's talk about the art in this issue. Um, we'll start with you, Adriana. Is there anything that stuck out to you? Anything you found particularly interesting? Did you think the art worked? Or did you feel like this was one of those where maybe things were fitting together? The only thing that really stood out to me art-wise in this issue, and I, I think it was in this issue, is when we see Walter's first transformation into Sasquatch. Yeah. That's like a full page spread where we see the different uh, Mm -hmm. steps Mm -hmm. of his transformation and the amount of detail in those panels is incredible. Well, it, to me, it's upsetting. It's kind of gooey. Mm -hmm. It's kind of, um, it made me think of, uh, altered States a little bit. It's, 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 it's upsetting imagery and it, what it does that I think is helpful is make it very clear that while Walter Langowski might be ripping off his college buddy, uh, what is happening to him in Sasquatch is nothing like what's happening to the Hulk. And I think that art really sort of established that for me, that this is not – he's not a different version. It's not like there's different colored beasts that are all just versions of the Hulk running around now thanks to gamma radiation. Um <laughs> That that Sasquatch is a whole different uh, uh, thing is going on there. Uh, Doug, what stuck out to you art-wise, both positively and negatively, this issue? I mean, the issue proper, the superhero part that isn't the origin story, I think there's very little that, that, that really jumps out as being particularly interesting. The reveal of Omega Flight, I don't think is... I mean, actually, the perspective on it—it's a little weird, and it—it it, it, yeah. I think it's because they need to fit all of those characters into the frame. It just look, looks a little funny. The very first image that you see in the comic, where you see the apartment of uh, uh, is it rocks? Um, I do like how the names of the creators and, and box a box, yes, of course, uh, are on the on the books on his bookshelf, and I like those little touches. And we'll see that later in a less pleasant context in one of the issues we'll talk about. But aside from that, nothing really stuck out. I mean. Adriana already mentioned it. It's the transformation sequence, the kind of body horror on display. I really love that kind of one page made up of of horizontal panels, which are all very, very different and show his body kind of tearing apart. But even before that, the one the 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 one panel after he starts the experiment. You have this really interesting yeah. sort of red photographic effect in the background, and you see sort of his his uh, skeleton being, I guess, through radiation, kind of showing through his skin. It's really kind of strange and horrific, and I would love for this character to lean a little more into like the pain of the transformation. But I, from what I've seen so far, I have no confidence that's going to happen because I I wish more of what we've seen of Sasquatch in his previous appearances uh, had this kind of visual interest and energy. But once he has turned into the character, he's just a big hairy guy. I Again, we're always going to disagree about this. I love the big hairy guy. The only criticism I would have of the big hairy guy is it's a little similar to the Wendigo design. Uh, and I kind of wish that they looked a little bit different. Uh, more, They were more differentiated. But I'll say... I agree with both of you that that the only part that's really engaging in this whole issue is is that sequence. The irradiation looks crazy. The transformation page looks crazy. I even like the next page where he's breaking out of the lab just because the panels are yeah. broken up with this, you know, jagged lines to indicate, you know, uh, action and violence and whatever. So that whole section is so good. And then, and and it's and that's it. The whole rest of the issue, at least for me, not that it's terrible. It's not like I looked at it and was like, this is the worst. It's just 
there's nothing really engaging. Uh, and I got to agree um, with Doug, something he said when we were talking about the plot of the book, but I think it also applies to the art. This entire page of Heather reminiscing is just <laughs> such unnecessary schmaltz, and it allows him to draw a bunch of stuff that's like not even visually engaging. If we're going to have her uh, have these memories, why not have like images of the people there? Or, you know what I mean? Like, there are ways to do the art of that scene that would get at the same sort of sentimental crap. Uh, but would actually be interesting to look at. And this is the most boring version of this sort of... The way he chose to represent, you know, the the fact that she was reminiscing and thinking back to, you know, the di- the different memories she associates with different parts of the of the house. It didn't make any sense. Like, uh, like it was just a very odd creative choice. He he chose to illustrate that with, like, these blue dialogue bubbles. And that's it? Like it, 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 it took it took a while for me to catch on to what was actually going on. It's not it's a clunky device. Um the only other thing I would say art wise is uh I think it's funny that there, we get a, uh, a series of panels that shows the uh members of Omega Flight not in their costumes and uh everyone but Time and Lil is ugly. Like that's an interesting decision to make that, you know, you've got the female character who is very pretty, though apparently a giant or something. She doesn't look that I guess she is that tall, but doesn't look that tall to me. Uh and then you've got uh, you know, four dudes who, you know, they're drawn in such a way that if I saw those characters show up in a comic book, but I didn't know who they were, I'd think, is that guy a villain? Like, that's what I would say. So I just thought that was an interesting choice to do that. And it it made the, the moment where Wild Child dramatically turns around to reveal his face very funny because... You know, he says something to the to the effect of like, I, I'll show you my face, but I don't think you want to see it because I'm so ugly. Like, yeah, dude, so is everybody else on your team. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I guess the idea is he doesn't have a nose, that his nose is, is very feral looking and that's upsetting, I guess. I guess his forehead is very broad, too, but it doesn't – I mean, this is a comic book, right? If you were to describe someone as a freak, they should have literal, like, feral – you know what I mean? Like, I, I want something <laughs> a little more dramatic than, like, oh, where's that guy's nose? What a freak. Like, there are characters in, in this world of comic books that are literally covered in blue fur, but this guy is, like, you can't look at him? I, that's a weird – it was weird. It was a weird reveal. I, w- I was more upset by his single braided ponytail down his back. That was actually more upsetting to me. Uh, I think we can move on to what is the the uh, possibly the the most important of the issues we'll be discussing. Issue number twelve. You know, a full year into the the debut of Alpha Flight, we have this special double sized issue, uh, and I I don't know. I I think there's some important things that happened in this issue, maybe. Uh, why don't we talk about that? Alpha Flight Volume 1, Number 12, from July 1984, written, penciled, and cover by John Byrne. Doug, what happens in this issue? A lot happens in this issue, Liam. This, uh, this double-sized issue has one single major story in it, and it's been teased in the uh, blurb at the end of the previous issue. One shall surely die. So um, this actually starts with Guardian 
you might remember that he was tackling Omega Flight. He calls Alpha Flight back together to join him. There's a lot of drama as the members reunite. I'm sure we'll talk about that, particularly regarding this kind of strange Aurora, North Star, Sasquatch, Love Triangle that's happening. They do get together, all except for one member, and we'll talk about that in a minute, too. Shaman magics them all to New York, uh, where they join the battle against Omega Flight. One really strange thing is that Snowbird, once she uh, joins the fray and starts fighting, she starts to kind of age prematurely. She starts to, to look very strange, and she loses her powers. So apparently her powers are tied to staying in Canada, and that seems like a pretty major limitation. Uh, but uh, but hey, I'm, I, hopefully they'll explore that in future issues. Smart Alec, at one point, he looks inside Shaman's medicine bag, and it immediately drives him insane. Uh, and while all that's going on, Heather, she's just in another room, um, and she gets tr- uh, treated to a videotape of Jerome Jackson, who explains his entire backstory, why he's going through all of this effort to uh, take out uh, Heather and, and uh, James Hudson. And it's because, apparently, after he stole the technology for his super suit, he got fired, uh, Jackson did, and it led to this string of bad luck where his family left him and he couldn't uh, get another job, and he ended up trying to kill himself, and in a botched suicide attempt, he actually ended up crippled, so he's in a wheelchair now. Uh, and then we also reveal that uh, Delphine Courtney, uh, his kind of right-hand woman, she's a robot, a freaking robot. <laughs> uh, <laughs> her face gets torn off, and it's revealed. So, back to the fray, Guardian faces off with Box, uh, who's he's very confused why Box is, he, he's like, Box was always very loyal, why is, why is he trying to kill me? And we discover that Jackson is actually inside this giant robot suit. Uh, in this fight, Guardian's suit gets damaged, and he uses some of its power to fry Jackson inside of the Box suit. Um, so Jackson has just had a bad time all around, no wins for him. After the victory, this is a big deal, Guardian is taking his suit apart because it's overloading with power. Just about to get it all off, Heather enters the room and distracts him, and he explodes in front of her. A fiery, flamey, disgusting mess. James McDonald Hudson, dead at the age of however old he was. Doug, I'm sorry. It Can you can we actually uh, do another take? Because it really sounded like, and I'm sure this is not intentional, that, uh, that James Hudson is dead. It sounded like you said he was dead. So can we actually, what actually happens to, to James Hudson? Dead as a doornail, Liam, the leader of Alpha Flight. For the, now, the Alpha Flight, who have been in separate pieces in basically every issue since the first one, they have come together, finally, working together, battling an inferior group, getting except for aging prematurely and some other crazy things happening. For the most part, they're one up on Omega Flight, no problem. James Hudson goes to the other room, ends up blowing himself up. And this... We'll get it. I I was about to jump right in, and we're we'll, we'll get there. Let's talk. Let's start at the front. Let's talk about this cover. What do you think about this cover, Doug? Are you engaged? Is this a cover that you would want you make you want to buy this issue? I mean, I have to say, it, I'm so used to bait and switches when it comes to comic comics, and you know, we had one on the cover of the most recent issue. I definitely, if I was a young person at the time picking up a copy of Alpha Flight, I would be curious about the fact that one person here on this cover is supposed to die. But I think for sure that it wasn't going to play out, you know, where where a major member of Alpha Flight was going to die. Maybe Marina, they'd take her out of action or something like that. So the fact that they not only killed a member of the group, but killed its leader, who really you would think of all the members would probably be 
untouchable. Uh, I know that I'm talking about the plot as opposed to the cover, but I mean, that's enough to, that's such a unusual kind of crazy thing to think about that I can only imagine what people's responses were at the time. The cover, I don't really like the background color. Maybe that's just me. Uh, and it's not just you because that was going to be my major comment about this cover is that I could really do without that pink, that hot pink. It's really, it's kind of a strange choice. I wonder what it's supposed to represent. The Barbie convertible. (laughs) That's a perfect description. And you know, it's, it's just members of Alpha Flight with targets on their faces. Uh, I mean, it does the job, but I will say that it's, it's the title that would get me to, to open up the, the comic, not the uh, art in this case. Hmm. Adriana, you feel similarly? Yeah, I think I think I think Doug is bang on accurate. As you uh as you guys uh know, I, I am mostly reading these in physical form. So I can tell you that my copy, which uh you know is a first press, it has a little bit of water stain on it. Apparently whoever I bought this from uh let it get wet, so thanks whoever charged me five bucks for a wet comic. Uh <laughs> They, they must have been very excited about the plot. <laughs> I'll just go ahead and let you know that uh, after a few decades of exposure to light, uh, the background color and the color of the characters become the same color. <laughs> I did not know that this was pink. I thought all of this was a weird shade of orange. Uh, because they have all become one color in the comic I'm holding in my hand right now. So, you know, seeing it, luckily uh, for those, uh, we'll give you some behind the curtains. Doug includes uh, digital copies of the covers in our notes. And seeing that original art, I'm like, oh, that actually makes more sense than putting out a color that's only colors are orange and white. That's what I thought I was looking at here, is a cover that has... Two colors on it, which I thought was a weird choice. That's a weird choice. Uh, but then again, I don't know if pink was a better choice. I'm unsure. So let's jump into this issue here. I don't even know where to begin. Can one of you? Can one of you lead us into this? You know, very <laughs> significant. Very. Uh, uh, let me start. Let me l- let me start with this question. We have a lot of space taken up before the big reveal <laughs> that Heather is in actual danger when Delphine throws her across the room. There's there's a few pages here. Did you find yourself just wanting to get to the battle, or did the pacing of this issue work for you? I'm going to start with you, Doug. Of course I wanted to get back to the battle, but I understand why Jackson's backstory is incredibly necessary, because otherwise none of this makes any sense. Sure, His sure. woe is me tale doesn't really hold together But, you know, I guess, you know, in real life, people place blame where it doesn't belong all the time. And he did go through quite a string of bad luck, and it continued up until the end of this issue. Uh, So the pacing of it, because it is double length, I will say I like that they kind of could stretch out a little. And we got a little bit more of the interplay between the group as they were all kind of getting together. And maybe I just wanted that so badly just to see these characters interact in group form, that that for me was kind of exciting. But it kind of feels like we barely get the battle, the Omega Flight, Alpha Flight battle at all. And and it's really just a way to get to, to that kind of final one-on-one and separate uh, um, Guardian away from the rest of the group, which I guess is the major point, as it should be, since it's the big shock moment. And I just have to mention quickly, I can't believe 
what Marina was doing while all this was happening. <laughs> she was making out with, with Namor, you know. That's My the- beloved province mate. <laughs> <laughs> down in Atlantis, she's basically is like, I don't need my Alpha Flight, I guess, signal or whatever the hell it is that, that can let me know when there might be an emergency. I'm making out by this guy who kind of adopted me. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, it is so strange. It's, why did they even make her a member of this group? She's, <laughs> it's, comp- I mean, you can say, oh, Sasquatch. You know what? He's not very likable. Marina doesn't even show up to the fight. I mean, why not kill her off at this point? I also don't think it really made any sense to bring her into this issue at all. Like, I understand, you know, Guardian put out that signal to summon members of the Alpha Flight. But at this point, she wasn't even really a member of the team anymore. She was out doing her own thing. So, like, you could just assume that she wasn't getting that call. So there was no reason to cut to Rena's shenanigans in the sea. Like, Who the hell is reading that and being like, oh, I want to hear more of that story. I want to know where that's going. I mean, who could possibly care about that? Well, and we also, I let me be clear here. We haven't established, other than when she has a freak out and she tries to murder Puck, we haven't established exactly what her powers are outside of the sea, right? Like, she can bring water from the water to the place but like if she's in this battle at the world trade center she's got one big splash of an entrance and then what she's just a a greed young lady like it's just not clear now i'm not saying maybe she does have powers that she can use outside of the water that would be helpful in an office building but we haven't established that yet so it's like she's not around we haven't really thought about her in any way and then the call goes out and suddenly it's like I gotta make sure people know that she's making out with Navar. Why do we need to know that? Why is that important? I'm also very bothered by the fact that right before they have the panel with them kissing, it has her described as a tantalizing child woman. Also upsetting. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) I missed that somehow. I think I just saw Marina and my eyes glazed over and I just... (laughs) We've been promised at the end of the next issue we'll talk about that that the upcoming issues are going to f- feature her in detail. So oh, maybe all of this will be explained and justified, and she'll be back to being my favorite character. Uh, I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think we should uh, I think we should talk about Walter Langowski has no chill. Because- right, 100%. And in fact, I was going to say, and I would like to hear what you think about this, Adriana, the way I brought up the pacing uh, issue I unintentionally made it seem like the the major problem with the pacing was the beginning. But actually, as I think about it, my issue was that, and I'm sure this is important for the future, but uh, the very thing you bring up, Adriana, Walter Langowski has no chill and uh, breaks out into a fight with Northstar simply because Northstar is is a dick. Like, we've already established that Northstar is a dick. And all of a sudden, uh, 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 we get Sasquatch in full rage mode. And for me, because we're finally seeing the team together, I want the team to go and fight in the battle. And instead, we get a lot of them fighting each other. Adriana, how did you feel about this whole scenario uh, with the team finally reunited and immediately beating each other up? It was certainly sort of consistent with the level of dysfunction we've seen with this team thus far. So it didn't surprise me at all that the second they got together, there were problems. But I think this moment is a really good showcase for why you and I, Liam, 
don't like Walter and that maybe Doug is starting to get a better sense of our distaste for him as a character. But so you have this tense situation that arises and instead of diffusing the situation he immediately goes for like racial and ableist insults and has like the most disproportionately intense and violent reaction to North Star's pretty understandable desire to like want to hash things out with his sister to be fair North Star does put his hands on Walter first but like I'm not sure that Walter needed to transform into Sasquatch and almost kill North Star to get his point across he tries to kill him with a tree. Like, he picks up an entire tree to kill him with. What is he thinking? What a strange decision. I mean, I know that the suggestion is that he, as we mentioned before, he's a little bit out of control when he's in his Sasquatch form. He's got, you know, not quite full Hulk, but he, he isn't right. all there necessarily. But, geez, you know, after, uh, uh, you know, seeing Omega Flight, they need to be coerced into being jerks and and difficult here alpha flight they're just doing it naturally it's weird and and i'll even say doug your your tree point was off because he actually picks up the tree to hit puck with that's right who's only trying to defuse the situation and he makes a hockey stick joke which is the even more weird thing for me is in the we've only seen him go into beast mode a couple of times, and in those times he was clearly not present. But in this moment, he's present enough to make a really bad pun about the way he's That's about right. to murder his friend, and that is the part where I'm like, "What's going on with this character?" That we've moved from, you know, the suggestion before is that there's a bestial nature to the Sasquatch he becomes that could take over if Walter isn't fully present, if he's unconscious in some way or or if he's threatened or whatever. In this situation, Walter is there and the beast is there and then somehow they have to like get through to him, apparently through Aurora, which is t- weird. The whole like uh, uh, beauty who calms the beast thing is just a thing I don't need but that's what we're going to do, apparently. <laughs> it's so cordball, but whatever. I just, again, I you're right, Adriana. I'm not surprised. I know this. I've read enough Alpha Flight to know that, okay, there's going to be arguments, whatever. I just, you know, this is a plotting decision. And I know that Guardian is facing off against his whole team. The whole reason they've all traveled across Canada to meet on this mountain, which, by the way, I don't know why that's where they're going to be, but they all meet on this mountain. They know it's to go help Guardian. Everyone shut up and go help Guardian. Like, that's what I want. And, and I get it. I, I totally get it. I'm just – I guess in that – my response to that plot point is more coming from like a visceral, almost like kid-like response where it's like I, I didn't sign up to see them bicker like children. I want to see the fight with the bad guys. Like, that's what I want. And And then we end up not getting that much – of a battle there's a few pages of it but you know uh, it, there's not as much happening as i would like let's let's jump to that section what did you guys think of this big battle i you know leading into what is a horrifying death of guardian uh i wanted to make a, a point earlier uh regarding something doug mentioned and it also ties into what you were saying too leah which is that i think it almost would have made more sense for Burn to issue uh, this Omega flight situation entirely, uh, and instead sort of have Jackson turn the Alpha flight against each other. Yeah. I mean, they, there's already a lot of problems there that he could have exploited, and I think that would have been a way for us to see more of the team together instead of all this other 
stuff happening on the periphery while the Alpha Flight is somewhere else and we're not seeing anything that's going on with them. Like, I think it would have been a good way to keep the Alpha Flight centered in their own book while also sort of uh, building on the dysfunctional team dynamic that was previously established. I think that just would have made a lot more sense. But In retrospect, that makes a ton of sense, especially because so much of the issues leading up to this point are about these kind of, you know, we have uh, Guardian self-doubt about being a superhero, and you have Northstar being a jerk, and we know Aurora is, you know, she has a split personality, and Sasquatch has this kind of anger issues, and Snowbird is in, con- in control. When she turns into an animal, she feels a little out of control, too. So they're already on the verge of you know, not being completely centered emotionally. So it makes sense that someone could kind of take advantage of that. And also you could still play this out. And then at the end they could bond, but I guess because of the story, especially the end of the story that they want to tell, it just wasn't, wasn't in the cards. Yeah, I agree. I think that would have been a much, I mean, don't be wrong. I, I like the idea of, uh, alpha flight having a full team of adversaries to face, but, um, I especially like your suggestion, Adriana, considering that when we finally get to the battle, it's just not that engaging and interesting. Like, not that much really happens. Um, and it, it, we don't get a sense that this team that they're facing off against is really worth their time in a lot of ways. Um, one of the things we see in it is what happens to Smart Alec. And I know, Doug, you mentioned this earlier. Um, what did you guys think? I, I, I don't know what to make of that moment, and I'm and I'm kind of curious, uh, Adriana. What did you think of this uh, smart Alec moment with uh, uh, Shaman in uh, in the big battle? Are you referring to when he stares into the bag? Yeah, <laughs> he looks in the bag. That's one thing you're not supposed to do is look in the bag. <laughs> yeah, and then you get some sort of bizarre cosmic horror situation. It's sort of interesting, but at the same time, it kind of plays upon this this weird sort of. I don't want to say, like, demonizing indigenous culture, but it's sort of like... It's, it's certainly othering the indigenous type. Uh, yeah, that's a better yeah. word, and, and sort of presenting it as this very strange, dangerous... It's a very... It, it's funny because it's a very white conception of power, that if what, uh, if what Shaman is reaching into is a source of great power, then it must be so terrible and so awful that to actually see it, kind of like how... You know, in scripture, you can only look at God's back because to see his front would, would be too much for you or whatever it is in the Old Testament. That's exactly what I was trying to say. Well, but I mean, it, it's also, I, again, I'm no expert on indigenous religion. And, and we've talked before about how we're going to we, we're going to have someone on to talk about some of the ways that that's represented in this comic. But, you know, to assume that all sources of power must be terrible terrifying things to look upon that would destroy your mind is like not fair it could be totally possible that shaman's bag is filled with love and acceptance (laughs) and compassion that that's where as much as he said so much he's like i'm a man of peace i'm a man of peace granted i carry a bag filled with innumerable horrors that if you were to look upon them they would destroy you but i am a man of peace that's it just doesn't make sense and it's a very burn thing to do to be like yeah it's so horrible it's also there's a certain irony to the idea that like here's smart alec right he's smart and then he puts on this he puts on this helmet and the helmet's supposed to make him super smart and the one of the ways the helmet makes him super smart is he can perceive things no one else can perceive now this is important (laughs) because 
as far as I know, we've never seen this dude before. So we have this guy. We're set up with this knowledge very quickly that he has a helmet. He tells us, my helmet lets me see all these things. I could see more than any other person. And then he does the one thing you shouldn't do with an extra sensory helmet. Look into a thing that if you look at it, it'll drive you crazy. So now he's like extra crazy because he sees all the horror on multiple wavelengths and microwaves and whatever. It's just it's I just found that ridiculous. I'm sorry. I found it ridiculous. It's such a weird thing to be like, yeah, if you didn't have that helmet on, it wouldn't be so bad. But now it's really bad. It's weird. I thought it was weird. I don't know. I don't know what you think. Doug, what do you think about this? Separated from the indigenous aspect of it. I like it. Okay. And, you know, I do like the idea of looking into a cosmic horror uh, something so Lovecraftian that you can't even describe what you're seeing, and it just like driving you insane just from the sight of it. I do love that kind of otherworldly concept. Uh, in my description, I didn't actually um, reference it, uh, but uh, in my original write-up, I referred to uh, the Stephen King story, The Jaunt, which has a similar thing where where a character basically sees time pass in this amazing instant because of this transportation device and it drives them crazy and uh and and there's a you know just something on display where you you just can't really explain it 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 just um affects the character so much that it just drives them insane of course this is a very visual medium and that's kind of a hard thing to kind of put on display but i think it's effective here but like you said liam the biggest problem is that we don't know this character this guy's brand new and and you know if his if his whole deal is that he's supposed to be smart Doing the one dumbest possible thing you could do, uh, <laughs> is, it, it doesn't really make a lot of sense. But, uh, but you know, I guess it's like every other smart guy in 2019. He's so smart that he doesn't listen to any warnings. I do like, I do kind of like the follow up, even if the idea of shrinking someone so you can <laughs> carry them around until you can figure out how to cure their madness is. Uh, I know we're going to get into that in the next issue, but I do think that there is something kind of funny and interesting about that. That said, if Shaman has the ability to shrink people down to doll size, why doesn't he just get on that every time he's fighting someone? <laughs> That's fair. I mean, I again, I don't understand. It, it seems like Shaman reaches into his bag and pulls out whatever he needs, but he only remembers to do it every once in a while. So <laughs> I don't know. I don't. I don't know if I understand exactly what he's doing at any time. Um, I I don't want to rush into what is the climax and probably the most important thing to discuss in this issue before we're ready. So, uh, but I don't know what else there is to say. Do you guys want to say anything else about this big battle, which really isn't that much of a battle. It really is just a lead up to this final scene. Uh, is there anything else you want to highlight about it before we move on? I, I want to talk about the, the final scene. Okay. Uh, I mean, Doug, if you're ready to talk about what was, I'm sure, an emotional moment for the legions of fans of Alpha Flight when it happened, uh, why don't you start us off and talk about the horrifying end of James Hudson? I mean, this is – I mean, we're we're joking around and laughing, but this is presented dead seriously. Yeah. Uh, it, it, through the art, through the writing, and it's also surprising. I mean, it must be – it must have been, again, coming at this – you're expecting a character is supposed to die. We're to the last few pages, and the bad guy is defeated. He's gone. So what's going to happen? And then there's this slow realization. Oh, my my suit's starting to kind of, you know, it's it, it's going nova basically. I just got to get it off. And then you have that great page where the where each uh, panel is a number counting down, kind of of adding to that tension. But even then, you're like. They're not going to kill a guy because he can't take his clothes off fast enough. That that would be the most ridiculous way. And as a concept, it is kind of ridiculous. 
But then when Heather comes into the room and it's just a kind of momentary thing, it's presented so grotesquely and so kind of, I almost hate to use the word, but realistically, that it's it's kind of disturbing. It's really disturbingly presented. It's and in some ways, I'm glad that they separated the characters from the rest of the group. And they, you know, at the end, it's just, you know, a man and his wife and his wife seeing his burning body where he's just basically imploded in front of her, saying her name as he's burning alive. I mean, it's a really d- disturbing, grotesque thing. And it must have been very impactful at the time. If anything, it's it's so much better than the rest of the issue that it um that it that it's probably a good thing that's pretty much all anyone would really take away from this issue is the fact that he passed away in this really horrific way it's yeah i mean it's i am inclined to joke about it because to me it's so intense and i can't believe reading it now so you know i i read it uh, when I got into Alpha Flight, and I probably read it when I was in high school, and like I said earlier, I I did think it was kind of you know cool in like a grim way, like yeah, oh man, so brutal, whatever. Reading it now, I'm kind of like, I can't believe that happened in that way. Uh, and maybe that's because comic books have conditioned me, especially superhero comic books, let's say, have conditioned me to expect characters I care about to die in ways that are very sentimental or detached or ambiguous. Sure. And the idea that this – no one, I think, can retcon this in a way that is believable. There is no way out. There is no going back. There is no – I mean, it really feels like – and it, and I wonder if that's not part of the motivation of the artistic choices, which we'll talk about in a sec, is to really make it clear, like, this is it. It's not a spaceship that blows off in the distance. It's not like they fall into a pit or, you know what I mean? Things at which there might be some out. This is the end. And um, while I find it so over the top that I do not quite understand in some ways. On the other hand, I got to respect it though. Like I got to respect that clarity um, and that willingness to end in such a way. I just don't know. It makes me all of a sudden wonder like, who is this comic book for? I guess it is for teenagers to some extent is maybe what they're thinking of. I mean, there's already some more uh, serious themes in other books, but I don't know. Some about that seemed harsh to me. Uh, as an adult thinking about uh, a young person reading it. But I, I, I don't know. I don't know what to make of it. I mean, I am glad that they they address the fallout in the next issue we're going to talk about to some extent. And the fact that this is meant to be traumatic and it's 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 treated as traumatic. So to that extent, yeah. I, you know, I think the follow-up is as important as the moment itself. But it really – it is so much more intense than anything we've encountered up to this point. And it is presented in a way that is meant to be not just shocking but disturbing. Um, it's it's a bit of a surprise, and and I, I'm right there with you, Liam. I don't know if tonally this was the right move. It's a it's a very surprising one, though. I guess it also opens up this idea that hey, you you, you don't you can't really predict where we're going with this. It might go into some strange places that you're not necessarily ready for. Which up to this point, I never thought that's what I would think or say about an Alpha Flight comic. I think that's fair. Um, I I want to ask you all about the art. I'm wondering if it's going to be a similar situation where the most 
the most uh, we have to say about the art is, in fact, what we were just discussing, which is this climax at the end. But maybe there's other things. Is there anything else uh, either one of you felt stood out about the art other than the end? And then we can get into the art of the end after that. Was there anything else that you thought was particularly good or, for that matter, particularly bad in this issue? The end is such a dominating thing in my mind that that it's really all I think about. There is one great double-page splash of Alpha Flight fighting uh, Omega Flight all together. It's this one big page of all the the members as they're fighting uh and it's not it's not amazing it's not this uh you know uh unforgettable splash but it does give um guardian a great hero shot on the page itself even if one of his legs look a little wonky on the page proper <laughs> uh, but you know i'm glad that we at least got that because the battle, I think, is a little underwhelming uh, once it gets going, and it's a lot of just sort of one-on-one, but I'm glad that we at least got one shot of everybody together because, I mean, that's what we've been waiting for, right? Alpha Flight all together. Yeah. There's just one – just to go back, I know we've already talked about the plot. I did want to at least mention that that it's kind of um, – not ironic, but a kind of a coincidence that Jackson's whole plan you know, was to to get his revenge on James Hudson – because he stole this equipment, and it ends up being the equipment he stole that ends up killing him, uh, which I think is kind of a uh, an interesting, perhaps, irony to his end, uh, even mm. if Jackson didn't survive to actually see it. Doug, you already mentioned it, but I do want to say the uh, countdown art, where it's showing him figuring it out, it's, it's very simple in a way, but it's very brilliant, and you know, doing the numbers in a way that lets you actually kind of see what's going on, I thought was really smart and really engaging. Uh, and I got to say, the last two pages where we basically see Guardian incinerate to death are very upsetting. They're not, mm-hmm. you know, we sort of talked about the emotional impact, but it's not just the event that is impactful. It's the way it's depicted. And the way it's depicted is unapologetic, Up. Even including the last shot of him, or it's not the last shot, but the one of the last shots where he actually says her name. That is a heartbreaking moment and one that I, it's arguably gratuitous and maybe not necessary. I th- that's what I was sort of going to pivot to, and I want to know what you think about this, Adriana. Um, is is Byrne maybe blaming Heather for this? Like, it's one thing when a character blames themselves, but the way that that's done, that whole sequence is done, it it really sets her up to blame herself in a way where maybe Byrne wants that to be the case as opposed to it being perceived as a misconception. What did you think of that? You mean in the sense that it wouldn't have happened if she hadn't walked in the door? Yeah, yeah. It does sort of provide some juicy angst for heather i i guess it does seem like a burn move yeah it does right like that's what i was thinking well because if i think of heather as a continuing member of alpha flight which i you know that hasn't happened in the story yet but i'm assuming she will be uh you know all the characters have their thing and obviously her thing is max death but it's even more a, f- a thing that she has to overcome and deal with if she blames herself. So he makes it like really clear that maybe she will blame herself because maybe it was her fault. I don't know. I, it's if again when I said the end feels cruel, I'm being serious. Like I, it feels a little mean to me to the audience and to the characters. I don't. I don't know, Doug. What do you think of that? Do you think that Burn is is setting up Heather more than is necessary, or does it make sense? 
it's all about the follow up, right? Right. Uh, and and so from what I've seen so far, they're playing it as if she blames herself. I mean, she basically is going to be comatose for a month, having nightmares about the fact that that she not only saw this, but that she blames herself in some way for it. Um, and I mean, I think it's a very difficult thing to balance where the audience can be left with that impression as well. That it maybe was her coming through that door that distracted him at the last minute, but you know the 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 margin here was really slim, right? I mean, he right. he obviously was still working on it. It could have happened anyway. His reaction isn't, "Oh no, Heather's here to distract me." It's, "Heather, don't come in here. Get away!" Right? Because he thinks he, I think he's already aware that he's about to melt down. But there's enough of a question mark that you can see why the doubt would exist in her mind. I mean, I do think it might be a little too much. Uh, what they end up showing of the explosion and the burning. But uh, I'm just glad that it's taken seriously enough that there is some follow-up from what we've seen. But time will tell if they uh, if they treat this with the respect it deserved. Well, I want to keep us moving here because, uh, you know, we still got one, one last issue to cover uh, before we end the episode. Alpha Flight Volume 1, Issue 13 from August 1984. I, I, I got to assume that... When this was coming out, people were asking themselves, what do they do now? What are we doing next? What's going to happen next? So what does happen next in this issue titled Nightmare? The issue begins with a lengthy uh, sequence, uh, starting with Heather attending uh, her husband's funeral. We see the members of Alpha Flight, and they're wordlessly – like there's, there's no words or even really sound at all in this entire sequence – they offer condolences, or in some cases, they turn away from her and walk or fly off. And we see that Wolverine is there, and he's watching from the background. And suddenly, uh, and surprisingly, a skeletal hand bursts out of the grave. And then uh, the corpse, I guess you would say a fiery corpse of James Hudson comes out. Wolverine fights it. Heather runs off. The, the corpse catches up with her, leans in to give her a kiss. And then she wakes up. We discover that entire opening sequence was just a nightmare. It's actually been a month since James exploded, uh, and uh, she's been in the care of Shaman and Puck, uh, maybe not entirely since then, but certainly at the moment. The three of them go to visit Gary Cody uh, in Ottawa in Parliament uh, the next day after after the, that sequence, um, and we discover that it's actually the day after the now former Prime Minister Pierre Trudeau has resigned, which actually did happen in 1984 here in Canada. Uh, Gary offers his condolences uh, after being very surprised to find out about Guardian's death, but he says he can not really do anything to help her since because um, the Alpha Flight was a top secret project, he uh, Hudson never really worked for the government, not at least on paper. So the group uh, leave, they go to a fast food restaurant, and Heather basically reveals that she's been left with nothing. Uh, she she doesn't have a place to live. She has no money because they can't produce a body for her husband. She can't even get insurance money for it. She does say she's a survivor, but the suggestion is that even Alpha Flight can't really continue because they no longer have a leader. So it's kind of a really distressing moment. Uh, and then the issue ends with uh, it goes to Toronto, where a character named Jacob Vandernet, he's running along the docks, and then something grabs his foot and pulls him into the water. But uh, I have to say, overall, very distressing and very depressing issue of Alpha Flight. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I think that it is appropriate as you said or uh when we were talking about the last issue that they take a moment to deal with some of the grief uh and um i'm sort of going to combine here both you know usually we do plot and then art but i think it's worth saying that the sequence that opens this comic 
both in the way that it's plotted, in where it happens and what it's about, and in the art, which is very striking to me, and we can talk more about that in the art section, is all really great. And it's so great that it makes me hate the rest of the issue when, (laughs) A, it's not real, and then, B, you know, it's basically a clip show of all the stuff that we already know happened leading us up to this moment, which I get, like, the idea of, you know, uh, we need to make sure that every reader of every issue is basically caught up because they might be. This might be their first issue, but it's a lot of space devoted to recapping, and I I just don't understand why we need that much recapping. And it makes the earlier part feel cheap, uh, in a way, uh, because the rest of the issue it feels. Uh, you know, it's necessary for us to hear from her that she's going to try to get by and, and, and what her situation is, but um, it just doesn't feel like it fits with what, at the beginning, feels like a very compelling sort of uh, visual storytelling thing. Sure. Um, uh, I'll start with you, Doug. What did you think about the the story of this issue? How did it hit you? What What, what did it make you feel? I mean, I'm just going to echo a lot of what you said, Liam. I, I actually think that the opening dream section, um, which which plays with some of the same things that we talked about with Snowblind, I think this is way more effective. I think it's done in, way better, and it has much more of a purpose to it. It's not just an experiment. Here, you know, it really is trying to uh, get across a mood and a, an emotion and, and the fact that it is, has this kind of dream logic to it. It's also sort of drawn and we'll talk about the art in a bit, but the, the art for it is almost like an old horror comic. I mean, it, it even feels, um, especially that first image of the cemetery. I mean, it feels like something that with that sense of dread hanging over it, which, which is entirely appropriate for the material that, uh, that it's trying to cover. But like you said, then it turns into a lengthy summary of everything that has happened recently. I mean, I do get it. This is the, you know, uh, one year plus one issue. So basically that entire first 12 issues was in some ways an arc that was all leading up to that final moment in issue number 12. This is meant to be a jumping on point. And I think that's even, um, that's even defined by the, the cover, which has a, well, well let's, Let's, I'm just going to talk about the cover briefly. Yeah, you know what? I forgot to bring up the cover. My bad. Why don't we talk about the cover? The cover has Wolverine protecting Heather as she's crouching in the cemetery against, you know, he's he's facing the reader and saying, okay, sucker, the only way to get to the lady is through me. And now that we've read it, we know that it's actually that flaming corpse that he's fighting. But we also know that Wolverine's not actually in this issue. It's all part of a dream. And uh, so we're, we're talking about another sort of bait and switch. I mean, he's in the issue. He does fight briefly in it so that what we're seeing on the cover does actually quote unquote happen. But it is kind of a, a str- I mean, this is one of those, hey, Wolverine's in this. I got to check it out. And then you don't really get what you're necessarily expecting in the issue proper, though, uh you know, maybe if, if if what else could you really show in terms of action in regards to this issue, right? Because aside from that one moment with the flaming corpse and Wolverine and all that, most of the rest of the issue is people standing around or sitting down and talking, which for me, as someone who kind of likes that character development, is a good thing. But it isn't the most dynamic thing for either new readers or trying to get people to to buy the issue and open it up. I, I'll be honest, beyond it being a bait and switch, I also just don't like this cover very much i uh i think 
it, it it's in some ways is also sort of reminiscent of a horror comic. So I, I kind of like that, but it, it's just not that engaging to me. Sure. Um, and knowing that it's a bait and switch kind of gets on my nerves. Uh, Adriana, how do you feel about this cover and about this issue? Do you think this is a cheap, cheap using Wolverine as cheap bait to get people in? Or do you think it works uh, for what the issue is? I agree with both of you that the bait and switch is sort of tiresome at this point. Uh, but I like this cover. I like the composition of it. I like the colors. As far as the issue, it felt like an issue of the X-Men to me. Not so much the clip show rehashing of things that we just read, mm-hmm. but in the sense that, you know, we see the characters during their downtime just sort of coming to grips with what is going on with their lives, which to me is a very X-Men thing. I actually kind of liked the minutiae of it and just them sitting at a table and talking. I guess I'm a weirdo. No, I don't have a problem with it. It's just I wish there was more to the issue, only in the sense that I felt like the opening sequence was so well done. And it's I I think the the part that makes it feel cheap is the padding. I think they have to have that conversation in the diner uh, they have to have the conversation with the government guy to find out where they're at. They have to have the conversation in the diner. But if you think about it, it if, to me at least, it feels like those are the only things that matter is the the nightmare, which is great, and I love the nightmare. And then that conversation at the end, the stuff in the middle just feels unnecessary. And I just wish there was a little more going on than that to this issue, uh, which which – you know, makes that first part feel less engaging for me. But I agree, like them just talking about the reality of her life. I also like there's we don't usually hear that from superheroes of like, how am I going to pay my bills? No, you know, we never see like Hawkeye being like, you know, when I was a criminal, it was easier for me to make the ends. I guess we do now, but we didn't at the time, you know. And also, it's nice to see the members of Alpha Flight providing each other emotional support and just being there for each other, especially after their very fractured sort of interactions they had uh, in the previous issue. I, uh, I do want to point out it's a small inconsistency, but um, you know, issue we we're doing an arc here, 11, 12, 13 in 11, all we hear about the landlord is how nice they are. And then in 13, it's like, they screwed me out of all my money. Yeah, it's kind of funny that uh, that that the, those two details. That's all we know about the landlord is they're incredibly nice, except for the part where they screwed Heather out of three months of rent. Um, uh, but yeah, I <laughs> it just seems I, like a- I still can't believe that she paid her rent in Ottawa three months in advance, and then they rented it. <laughs> I'd be like, at least give me those two months money back right i mean what what so i mean I, you know her her sad story is very sad and apparently her parents or her entire family because she got married to james have have uh basically disowned her i mean it really is really distressing how this issue ends it basically is kind of a no hope, hope type, type thing but i'm glad that you mentioned adriana that it is kind of like an x-men is, uh, issue because i wasn't even thinking about it but you're right after a major plot or a major kind of story arc in the X-Men around this time period, there would almost always be that issue, that kind of is that buffer issue where characters are dealing with the uh, the the, um, the fallout from everything that's just happened, and there's a lot of interplay, and, and, you know, this is kind of intense even for that, but it's that sort of thing, and then you kind of set the table for what's upcoming. 
I'm surprised with how little setup there is in this because, I mean, the idea of someone getting pulled into the water in Toronto isn't exactly a page turner for me. But I, I mean, it, I, after this, I am curious about what's going on with Alpha Flight and their future. Uh, okay, well, let's take a quick moment before we totally wrap up and just mention, I think we talked about it a chunk, but uh, I really thought the art in the first part of this issue was great. And then not a lot stood out to me in the rest of the issue um, until I actually really liked um, the close-up of Heather at JoJo's. <laughs> I hate that they're having this intense conversation at JoJo's, which apparently has a giant cloud head on top. Um, <laughs> but uh, but I actually like that. I like when he does those shots of characters where we get to know their face and who they are. I, I think that's really good. But, of course, it's the one bright spot for all that rest of the issue is just doesn't really stick out for me much. But that whole first section I thought was really, really amazing. It just seems like it would be so easy. I, I, I get it. Like that first part was probably hard to draw, but give us something in the rest of the issue. Like maybe again, more of a teaser of whatever's in the water or give us like one cool, if you're going to do this, um, uh, uh, go back and remind us what happened at least make that look dynamic and interesting it just seems like you've had this amazing introduction both for the plot and for the art but then the rest of the issue is just kind of like parts of it are important but it doesn't have as much weight for me and and that's just kind of a bummer I, i i wish there was a little more there but uh but still it's still an important issue and i do like that he took a breath that we don't go from the horror of issue 12 into our next adventure. I think that would have been jarring to say the least. Um, Hey, thanks for listening to uh, episode five of the flight stuff. We're so glad that you're here with us, that you are weathering the storm of our loss of guardian and that you'll be with us into the uncertain future where probably Heather will become the leader. Adriana, if uh, people want to connect with us on the internet, where should they do it? Well, you can find us on Twitter at, flight stuff pod and if you prefer a longer form of correspondence you can shoot us an email at flightstuffpodcast at gmail.com if uh, someone is ill-advised enough to care about other things you do doug uh how could they find out about what you have going on right now I will belabor the subject, Liam. If you want to find out more about what I'm up to just check me out on Twitter at Doug underscore Tilly that's T I L L E why? And Adriana, if they're very smart and know that they need more of you in their life, how would they find out what you're up to on the internet? But if for some reason they want to find me on Twitter, they can do so at E-A-D-X-B-B. Uh, if you want to know more about uh, what's going on with Cinepunks.com, you can follow Cinepunks at C-I-N-E-P-U-N-X at Twitter, Instagram, and on Facebook, or just go to Cinepunks.com, also spelled with an X. Uh, if you want to follow me on Twitter, uh, you can follow me uh, at Liam Rules R U L Z. Uh, only do it if you don't mind me complaining all the time because that's all I do. <laughs> all right. Uh, thanks again for listening. Please rate, review, subscribe. Uh, tell your friends about us. Send us an email letting us know what you think about um, issues 11, 12, and 13. Uh, and, and also, you know, whatever questions you might have or things you want us to talk about in relation to the amazing and uh, totally engrossing Alpha Flight. Uh, Take care. Talk to you soon.